Hey, this is Brian McManus, Denver Broncos Super Bowl champion, and you listen to The Scoop on alscoop.com. Everybody. Welcome back to the Scoop, AlScoop.com's podcast. I'm John DiCarlo, joined by Kyle Gauss, Sam Newman. Sam Cohn is off this week. This is season six, episode 34, the Charles Barkley episode. Now, what other 34s we've got? Anything come to mind? Playground legend. Playground legend? A playground legend of Philadelphia War 34. Playground legend. Think back to who Jeff Collins used to say that about. Playground legend. Playground. Tyler Grainer. Oh, yes. Yes. Playground Playground legend. You threw me off. I was thinking of an actual basketball player, but yeah, and he called Tyler Grainer <laughs> Playground legend. Yes, he just, you know, it's like one of his like, go to quotes. Like, you, you yes, walk it. around people, like, you go to you go, uh, random schools and they're asking about Tyler Grainer. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Jahad Thomas before he switched numbers. Yeah. Jahad Thomas. Nolan Ryan wore 34 for the Rangers, right? Leave so yes. Yeah. Noah Syndergaard wears thirty four. That's what I have. He uh, might be the reason that Game of Thrones got crappy. Like the like Game of Thrones jumped the shark after Noah Syndergaard was on it. Like, thank you, Noah. It's an interesting take, Kyle. Now you got who, karma with the who, who, who am I? Who might argue that? Uh, we've got some cool stuff for you guys this week. Uh, really excited to bring you this interview. Uh, a little while with Marty Collins and Dustin Salisbury, two former Temple teammates, two former Temple standouts. Of course, Marty was uh, the program's last first-round pick in 2006 by the New York Knicks. Uh, he played in the NBA, played overseas. Dustin had a long career overseas as well. We talked to those guys this week because the cool thing is that they are graduating this week uh, after all this time, earning their Temple degrees, both in African-American studies. So, again, excited to bring you that interview uh, some mailbag questions from from listeners and readers, some football stuff as well. And you know, before we get to this Marty Collins and Dustin Salisbury interview, we've got another college graduate, soon to be college graduate on the podcast here, our own Sam Newman, who's 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 got the graduation news and he's got some exciting personal news as well. So Sam, I'm gonna turn it over to you here. Yeah, no, I'm I'm graduating, I guess, whenever you listen to this. Uh, we're recording on a Wednesday, so tomorrow, if you're listening to Thursday, today. Uh, yeah, I'm graduating. Exciting stuff. Um, yeah, around, maybe Sam will insert like a round of applause or something when he's recording. Hooting and hollering. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I, it's wild. I Part of me never thought I'd make it here, but I did. Um, I'm disappointed you didn't follow in my footsteps of not graduating during May. No. <laughs> I happened to do the summer stuff to graduate. <laughs> Look at you on time. I'm, I'm usually on time. Uh, I guess I'm I'm on time, not coughing time here. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I got I got some good news. Um, well, some bittersweet news because I hate to be leaving. You know, the Owl Scoop family because it is Owl Scoop with everybody. That that is <laughs> fact. Or we should get that trademarked. I don't yes. know if I I can say we for only a couple of weeks longer. But I guess once always always once Owl Scoop always Owl Scoop. Yes, right? you never leave exactly. the Owl Scoop family. Um, I hate yeah, to make that I, sound like the mob, but you know. <laughs> I've elected to accept a position, um, entry, I guess entry level maybe, with Clemson Insider. So I'll be covering um, pretty much doing what I'm doing for Al Scoop, but Clemson. And, um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. Um, going back down south. So 
that's, you know, it was exciting. I never lived in South Carolina before I live. We are in South Charlotte. So we're like 10 minutes from the border and like, that's comfortable, but I can't say that I've ever imagined that I would live in South Carolina. So, you know, here we go. But, uh, I, I start June 1st, I'm going to commute to, to start stuff off. Um, you know, that Dabo has this couple camps to start the summer off and in, in June, and then I'll probably move down there at August and, Fortunately, Charlotte is uh, is an ACC hub, um, so I, I can sleep in my own bed while when Clemson plays Georgia. I think as their home as a season opener. Um, I believe there's some media events in July for the ACC, and then um, figured I just figured this out. But I think Temple is playing is playing with Clemson in, in the Charleston Classic this year. So, you know, maybe maybe we can have an Al Scoop family reunion there. But. Uh, yeah. Or yeah. maybe you can freelance for us so we don't have to go to Charleston. <laughs> uh, I'm maybe, excited. Maybe that's what I'm excited for you, buddy. You've, been, awesome. down. <laughs> You've been uh, an invaluable, invaluable part of the staff and we'll miss you, but still be part of our, our group chat. And um, it couldn't have, it couldn't have done all the things we've done the past couple of years without you and really, really appreciate it. I, I, Kyle, I told Sam that I hope he ends up in some way, shape or form as a, as an extra somehow on Southern charm and becomes a, a reality TV star on the side. I don't think never, he's I've never seen show. Southern Charm. No, no, it's a, it's a, my wife watches it. I can't say I watch it. Oh, is this the chick that was sleeping with Jay Cutler? I believe, so. <laughs> I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Madison LaCroix. Okay. All right. I'm Isn't aboard. She somehow tacitly involved with the, like the, the A-Rod rumors too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I think she came out and said like, I did not have sexual relationships with Alex Rodriguez. What a podcast. What a, yeah. you know what the biggest Sorry, difference? Everything. You know what the biggest difference between your current job and your job a month from now is going to be, Sam? What's that? So you're really big on like when we have you talk to a recruit, ignore Jordan crying. Sorry. Uh, you, you'll text us like, oh, I think Temple's ain't good with blah, blah, blah. Now Clemson's in good with everybody. Yes. Like you're, you're just going to have to figure out like, does Clemson actually want this kid? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so well, we'll have the same round for uh, a few more weeks. And again, I, I can't thank you enough. And uh, it's been fun to watch your career grow from the Temple News and uh, and yeah, Alistair, so been my pleasure. I mean, I, th- I think it's almost been two years now, right? I yeah, think you're definitely one of the Sams that have worked for Al Scoop. Arguably, <laughs> first, second, have we maybe third? I don't know, but you, you've done a very good job for us, Sam. Thanks, Kyle. So. Uh, uh, well, again, well, we're not new Sam. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's weird. Are you going to replace me with another Sam? Is, is that is that the goal here? Could. Is, am I going to like, do we still call Boston Sam, Boston Sam when there's no Carolina Sam? I don't know. We'll have to see. See what time shows us there. I don't know. Yeah, an ad for, for Sam's. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> if you need a, if you are a Sam and you are interested in covering recruiting, email John DiCarlo. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't DM me. <laughs> you see, uh, <laughs> you see another Sam, and we're and we're if we're still doing this on Zoom. We look at him. You're not, you're not Carolina Sam. I'm yeah. gonna have him do a filter. Where's Carolina Sam's face? <laughs> Just have a Carolina Sam mask. So have the Ferris Bueller poster behind him. That's a requirement. Yes, and the yes. messy poster. Guy that covers the Jets, angry angry Mets fan, all those things, all those prerequisites. But we're not. Yeah, we we got got him for a couple more weeks. And again, he never never fully leaves the Alscoop family. So yeah, I just wanted to, to pay tribute to Sam there. Great, he's graduating. Um, and uh, again, 
love you, buddy. Thanks for everything you've done for us. So from one college graduate to not soon to be college graduate to two more here that we're going to talk to, like I said, Dustin Salisbury and Marty Collins. Again, you guys know them as uh, two of Temple's uh, all-time leading scorers, uh, guys that were up there and uh, terrific guards for the program. But again, we're talking to them this week. Cool thing is, again, they're, they're, they've been close friends. They're graduating this week. Uh, earning their degrees in African-American studies. And uh, now we're going to turn this over uh, to the interview we had with them. And uh, again, they're talking about why they came back to get their degrees, talked about playing for John Chaney. In Dustin's case, he got to play for John Chaney and Fran Dunphy. And they're going to talk about their sons too. We know the Temple fans are, of course, interested and always interested in recruiting. And now they're following the careers of Madden Collins and Dimash Salisbury. So we'll have all that more for you here. So uh, without further ado, here is our conversation with Marty Collins and Dustin Salisbury. So joining us on The Scoop this week, we're very fortunate to have two former Temple stars, Marty Collins and Dustin Salisbury. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. There's, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff to get into today. You guys could tell stories for days, I'm sure. But one of the main reasons why we're talking to you guys today, one of the cool things is that you guys are getting your Temple degrees this week. So congratulations. It's, it's, uh, you get them, was it tomorrow or Friday you're getting them? Friday. Friday, both of you guys are, are getting your uh, is commencements Friday for both of you? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, Dustin, you're getting your degree in African-American studies. Marty, what about you? Same, same. same. So, same. Well, I mean, simple question, but what does this mean to you guys after all this time to, you know, you guys played together, uh, you know, you guys have remained friends and now to, to get your degrees now together. What does this mean to you guys? Um. I mean, it is, it is exciting for me. I mean, at the, you know, 15 years later, you know, to finally be able to, um, you know, get the degree, it's definitely exciting for me. You know, um, I didn't realize it. I guess when, you, when you're 19, 21 years old and you got to go to the NBA, you kind of don't, it really doesn't really mean too much. But, you know, going through life experiences and having kids now, things like that, it kind of kind of makes it a little more special. You know, my, kid, my kids, my sons always joke with me. Saying don't let them graduate college before uh, before I do. So that was something I had to try to try to hone in and uh, get it done. Awesome. What about you? Oh uh, yeah, pretty much the same thing Marty said. It's um it's very special. Uh, wish I would have did it a long time ago, but you know it's better late than, than never. And I don't know. I'm really excited about it. Um, like Marty said, like you know you're playing basketball, trying to make it to the next level. Uh, you know, as a kid, you're not really thinking, you know, it was the wrong way of thinking at that time, but, you know, back on track now. And I think it, you know, it came at the right time, just putting in a lot of hard work and dedication into, into these classes to get it done. And it's a great example for, for, for my sons. Mm -hmm. When you guys, I don't know if it was a different situation for each of you, but when you guys were done playing, Marty, you obviously were done after 2006, got drafted by the Knicks in the first round and, and Dustin, Dustin, you were done a year later both you guys went on to pro careers at the time. How far off were you guys from graduating? Was it, was it several classes? Was it just we were a few credits away? What was, what was it like? I, w I was nine, nine classes away. Okay. So I was pretty close. Um, and I, I, if I would have finished the, se the semester off, my senior spring senior semester off, it would have been even closer, but uh, get, you know, going through the combine workouts, and all that stuff. I just stopped going. I stopped. I ended and stopped going to class. So ended up being in nine classes. So I started back up. Um, what was that? 
last year, January last year. So I, I kind of I did three classes last the spring semester of 2020. I did a uh, one each summer session, and then one uh, in the fall last year, and then I did my you know my last two. Um, so it was I was I was nine classes. It wasn't too, wasn't too far. How about for you, Dustin? I needed five. And, you know, it was the same thing what Marty said, you know, going to the combine and workouts. I just wasn't around for class. And, uh, you know, at that time, it was just like, you know, you were trying to accomplish something. But I just needed five. So I took one at Hack in 2007. Or excuse me, 2017. Mm -hmm. And then um, I was talking to Marty uh, earlier. I think this was like uh, last year when he started taking his classes again. And that kind of is what got me into it. I said, I'll it up. And then I took uh, I took two classes last semester, and then these two classes this semester, and, you know, it's, it's, it's here now. Real quick, before I turn it over to Kyle here, what is it like being back in school after all that, after all that time off? Is it, is it, is it weird? Is it, what's it like? The, the toughest thing ever. <laughs> After you go so long without doing any schoolwork and and uh, handing in assignments and and then I never had classes online. We you know we always had classes on campus where we went and did our work. Now being online, having to learn how to use the, the TU portal and mm -hmm. submit your assignments on the canvas and um, just locking in and doing the doing the schoolwork. That was the the hardest part. Like taking so much time off. I wouldn't recommend anybody to take that much time off in between school because that was that was like the toughest part this last you know year and a half. Like really just trying to hone back in and, and get the readings done. When especially when you're grown, you got real real life things going on, you know, kids and you know, bills, all types of things going on. You you, you had to kind of like block that out and try to finish the work. Mm -hmm. Same kind of thing for you, Dustin. Was it weird? Yeah, same same exact same exact thing. It was trying to learn how to submit uh, assignments. And I think once, once, once I got through that part, it was, it was okay. But just, you know, the African classes, they're, they're pretty tough. They're very, very intense. And you have really got to concentrate on, on those classes. So they was pretty difficult. But like I said, we, um, we both got through it. It's over now. And I'm, I'm happy. Marty, like you said, I mean, it, it's a big stretch between when you started to when you actually ended. I'm wondering if there was somebody, whether it was a coach or a faculty member or a teacher, that kind of comes to mind when you think that they really went above and beyond that kept you on the right track and helped you uh, finally get your degree. Um. Well, during the, you talking about during this, this this time now? Either time, whether it was back when you were first at Temple or the last couple of years. Oh. Well, before we had uh, we had some um, academic advisors, uh, Carla Super. She was she was really uh, crucial in helping us out, and um, we also had uh, Miss Karen. She she always she worked in um, the course, and she kind of you know tutored us and helped us a lot with a lot of different assignments. Um, so she was she was very important to it. And like and then once we started back then, it was it was two people that kind of like you know um, Dwayne Killings. He was he was one of the ones three years four years ago telling me I should you know try try to start back up and then he connected me with uh justin miller and then me and justin talked maybe three like three four years ago and he you know he told me it was a problem because guys was, was, was start classes back up and wouldn't finish and that was hurting the program so i i didn't want to commit to it until i knew i was absolutely ready and then you know last year 
and Justin had that conversation and we just, I was just kind of like, all right, it's time for me to like lock in and really get it done. I guess as a quick follow-up to that, because you brought him up and it's, it's topical. Have you had the opportunity to talk to DK since he got the head coaching job at, at Albany? Yeah, yeah, I talked to him uh, on, a, on a regular basis. He's, like I said, he's one of the people, even though I didn't play under their coaching staff and I was coming around all the summers, you know, I would all, he was one of the ones I would always talk to. Um, he always had a liking for my, for my youngest son. And um, so we would always talk. And then through there, we, you know, like I said, he was trying to get me back into school. So we, we, we always talk, um, I would say every, 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 every other month, every month. Hey guys. So you hear so much about John Chaney's early morning practices. And we were always told the part of the reason he did that was so that you got practice out of the way and, and didn't miss any class time. What was he like with you guys when it, when it came to prioritizing just academics and, and how much did he stay on you too about that? He, uh, all of the coaches was on us about the academics because, you know, obviously without passing your classes, you, you know, so, you, you know, the eligibility thing was, was very, um, was talked about a lot. And we were set up with, with tutors, like Marty said, with Carla, we had a guy named uh, Walt. Walt was our, um, the study hall guy. And they would always just help us out wherever, whatever we needed. And, um, you know, coach was, coach was very high on, on the education portion because, you know, you can't play basketball forever, but your education lasts, lasts forever. And, I mean, something else we talked about, it's been a little bit more than three months since Coach Shaney passed. Dustin, this was something we talked about for, for a story I wrote back in February. And I wanted to ask yeah. you both about this. A lot, of, a lot of guys might look back at their college careers and, you know, have fond feelings for their coaches. You guys play for a legend. I mean, a Hall of Famer. And he wasn't just a guy who won games. He was a, he was a larger-than-life figure when it came to – making an impact on and off the court. Uh, I think we can safely say that he was truly unique, different from everyone else, and, and we'll never see anyone quite like him again. When you look back now, three months later, do you sit back and say, I got to play for a true legend? What's it like kind of just to process that all three months later? Go ahead, Marty. Uh, for me, I mean, like it, it, it was every time I, you know, I kind of think about coach every day and every time I think about it, it, it kind of just, it always brings back all, all the memories, you know. Um, like I said, me and my teammates, me and Dustin, we, 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 we sit back and I think me and Dustin just had a, a real discussion maybe like three weeks ago about coach. About you know, sit back and think about all the things he was with and, all, and what he was trying to get out of us on the basketball court, man. It was like, you think about it now as a grown man, it's like you, you really understood what he was trying to do. And, um, you know, it's, he just teaches more than just, just about basketball, but life lessons as well. And um, like I said, we have, we have stories for days where, you know, we can always hold on to those stories and, and, and those memories of him, even now that he's gone. Justin, how about for you? Yeah, just, uh, you know, this passing, you know, and then like when you're watching like um, a lot of the, uh, the news outlets and a lot of the old videos, you know, I seen myself in a lot of them. So it was it was just crazy. And you really realize like you I always knew he was a legend, but like just seeing that and I always knew he had an impact, but just seeing it in the light on ESPN and all the people that talked to him, it really brought it to a to a bigger light for me. Uh just knowing that, you know, I really played for a legendary coach, you know, one of a kind coach. There'll never be another John Cheney. And like Marty said, we talked about all of the things that you know, sometimes was you know at a young age for myself in particular it was hard to understand. But leaving college and, and you know turning to the into the professional world, you really realize that 
you know, he always had your back regardless of how, regardless of how he talked to you. He wouldn't let nobody else talk to you like that. And that's, that's the true meaning of somebody who, who, you know, was there for you and always in, in, in our corner. Another life milestone for you guys is that your sons are now growing up and, and they're starting to get recruiting attention. They're good basketball players in their own right. But before we get to them, as basketball players and their futures. I just wanted to give you guys the opportunities to talk about your sons and what they're like. Dustin, we'll start with you. I mean, I, I've never met, I maybe I met Damage one time on campus, but I feel like I've seen him grow up on social yeah. media and it makes me feel old. Marty, kind of the same thing for your son too. Dustin, what, tell us about, tell us about Damage and, and just your family and what it's like just having that piece of life come together for you. Uh, for me, you know, dealing with him is, is so easy because he like he loves what he's doing and you know he's focused in and on school and basketball. I don't really have to I don't have to ask him to do anything when it comes to you know academics or working out or anything. And his skill set is so he has an amazing skill set. Um and me, I'm just home giving him the pro pointers and just kind of you know trying to work out the little the little things that his little flaws and things like that. But you know, he's just really turning the corner right now. He's playing for Philly Pride. Um, he received his first uh, Division One offer the other day. Um, some more should be coming in. So it's just an amazing, amazing uh, time. And it makes me not even really miss playing basketball at all because it's just, you know, watching him play um, and the process that he's going through is, is just amazing. And, you know, I have another son, too, that's good, and he's going to be going through the process. So it makes it makes it a lot easier just to – kind of, you know, transition into this, into this, to this point of life. Marty, what about, what about Madden again? Like, what's he like, not just as a, as a basketball player, but just, just off the court. Um, Matt's cool, man. Like he's, uh, I mean, he's a lot different than me. Like I, I was really to myself and kind of quiet, really wasn't social. Like only, only the people that were close to me, my teammates and friends and my family members knew the real me, like, to everybody else, I was kind of closed off. Matt is a little different. Like, man, he's he's real social. Like, I see him at like a a, a funk family function. He's dancing. He's the life of the party. So, and then with school wise, like, I mean, he's it's it's, it's kind of scary sometimes because it's kind of effortless. And I I want him to be challenged more in school, but you know, he's like he one of the top academic people in his class. Um, so you know, I love that part of it. And then the basketball, I don't know. It's just he's been at it since. Since, since a kid, you know, since buying a little hoops in the house. And he's always did a good job of imitating other players. And I like, at the beginning, I really didn't work with him. He just picked up a lot of things from just, you know, YouTube and, and watching and watching basketball, watching basketball games. So, you know, over the years, he's getting, um, he's growing more fond of it. And he's putting in the work with his trainers and stuff like that. So I'm just like, like Dustin said, man, like we talked the other day and we was like, man, seeing our sons play and, and have success, um, it's, it's more exciting than when we play. Like, uh, I, I get more excitement out of seeing, you know, my sons play and do well than I did myself. So I just continue to, you know, try to do anything I can do to help them um, get better. Um, but just also continue to have fun with it. But more so than anything, I try to, like, I try to get – not even just working on this game, but try to the mental things and the things he's going to deal with, you know, as an athlete, you know, I try to give them the game in, in that in that light rather than just you know working on the skill because a lot of guys can play, but it's also about keeping your confidence. It's learning how to maneuver through millions of other basketball players who's trying to accomplish the same thing you're trying to accomplish. So that's the kind of tips I try to give them. 
Now, Dustin, with with Dimage, was there ever a time when? Let me just kind of rephrase it. Uh, when you started off, when he was younger, was there ever a time when you kind of steered him towards basketball? Or was it more just like, hey, this might not be something he loves. He has to figure it out on his own. I mean, ever since, like, he was little, they just, both my sons, they just always, like, had a basketball. Like, it just was like, I don't know, second nature. I didn't, like, like make them play. They just, they just loved the game. You know what I mean? And ever since, I mean, I can remember they both just lo- love to play basketball. So, and then I didn't really start, you know, giving out like, I let, up until eighth grade, I let Maj just kind of do his thing. And then, cause I wasn't around. So during the summers I would do little stuff, but we really started taking it serious. Um, uh, last, his summer going into ninth grade. And then the progress just been, uh, you know, tremendous over these last two years, he's getting great opportunities, offers, so it's, it's 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 crazy right now. Just how fulfilling is that? I guess knowing that without your without having to kind of steer him in that direction, he still is trying to pursue just the same path that you that you went down. Yeah, and, and he's doing it. He's doing it better than I did it. He's he's just much more focused and, and dialed in. Like like no distractions. Like you know, he has blinders on to everything else, and it's just basketball and books, and that's just that's just what he's about. Always watching up videos and you know, things like that and always trying to get better, loves to work out. It's just the focus is there and it's, it's, it's so easy for me to just do my do my job. And right now he's playing for Philly Pride where they have a great, great um, system over there. The coaches are great. And like right now, I don't I don't have to. I still tell them little stuff, but they take great care of them. They're, they're great guard coaches and they're just giving them everything that he needs. So. I'm just just being a dad right now where I don't really have to do too much, which is also a, a plus. Now, Marty, I guess same question with you. With uh, with you and his mom, Madden obviously might have had a bit of an inside track toward basketball, but was there ever a moment where you kind of pushed him in that direction or was, did it just kind of come naturally to him? No, it just came naturally. It just, it just came naturally. Never, I never did it, but, you know, I always was happy that it happened that way, but I never, never stared. We just got the – only thing I did, you know, get the little basketball hoops for the um for the house. But other than that, never did it. And he and the thing he did, like I said, he he did it. He always looked at players and imitated. He been doing that since he was little. I remember I was playing for the Clippers and uh Marcus Camby. You know, Marcus Camby has a weird, you know, looking shot. Madden used to imitate that from three years old. He was imitating Marcus Camby. Like I remember him being a, a huge Kobe fan as a kid. And he was. I have a video I posted on Instagram where he's you know, dribbling like he's posting up and then he turns around and do a fadeaway. Like he always, he's always, he just always did that. He just always picked the things up that way. So I, I never had to push him. Um, I think I was, uh, was getting a little more serious. And, um, you know, I still want him to have fun with it, but it's just like now I'm like, yo, it's, it's serious now. Like if you want to really take this serious and go to school and get the scholarship and hopefully play professional, you know, then you need to start stepping it up even more, you know, so. I kind of got him now because he's at that age now, but uh, nah, naturally it just came. The same thing, same with Mason. He's 11, so I just kind of let Mason do his thing right now. He's so tall. He's he's 11, but he's almost the same height as Mason, as Madden. So I kind of just let him still, because he's 11, just kind of let him do his thing because he's still kind of a baby in my eyes. Was there a moment when you contemplated telling three-year-old Madden that he's not allowed to imitate a UMass player? <laughs> it's crazy. I didn't even I didn't even factor that in. <laughs> uh, I, I just I just used to see him do it. And I was like, wow, I couldn't believe that he was like really imitating 
the shot exactly like Marcus Camby to be three years old. So it was just always funny to me. Marty, obviously Madden, he's, he's a freshman this year. He's got a lot of time ahead, but if you were to look at him now, what, what's, what's the early, could you give the listeners an early scouting report on what he's like as a player? Cause again, he is starting to, he just had recently had a real good AAU tournament and um, he got some attention from that. What's, what's the an early scouting report you could give on him as a player? How is he so far? Um, smart, man. He's, his, his IQ is really high. And uh, I mean, I, I've always been a high IQ player. So as his mom, so I'm kind of, just thinking that that just me had just been passed down, but high IQ. Um, but also he's like real creative. I mean, he he's, he's a great ball handler, great three point shooter. Um, and other things that he really excel at, like ball handling, and he's real deceptive with his moves. And he's a pretty good, he's a really way better shooter than I than I was. Um, so then the two things, but you know that I think I look at him the three things: IQ, his shooting ability, and his ability to create off the dribble. Um, are the three things, but like it's the one thing I'm just telling. I'm just telling him he has to get. He has to get stronger. I know he's 15. He kind of he's still going through puberty, but I'm, I'm kind of trying to get him to get stronger because right now he still has that thin frame. And um, you know he might be. I was a late bloomer as far as height, so he still hasn't picked up me or his height yet. Uh, about five eight now, so I'm hoping he gets that growth spurt and you know just put on some weight now. He's starting to eat a lot more now, so I'm hoping the weight the weight will come. Awesome. What about an early scouting report on Dimash? He's a um, a year ahead, year older, had a good season at, at uh, Academia, and uh, I guess what their first first season. And get, also, your coach there. We'll get into that too. Uh, yeah. What would you What would you say if you were to give people an early scouting report on your son? Uh, it's just his IQ for basketball is very high because um, he studies it. Uh, very very quick, explosive guard. Um, is very, very good on the defensive end. Um, loves the pass first. Um, and gets to the, gets to the basket. Well, um, is a good mid range shooter, but needs to work on consistency from behind the three point line. Um, but is getting a lot better over this summer at, at shooting the, the long three ball, but just becoming a more consistent shooter and um, learning how to lead the team, um, just being more vocal. He's not really vocal, so he has to be a little bit more vocal if he's going to be a point guard. But overall, um, you know, great kid, hard worker, and, um, you know, just, just getting better at, at every set of the game. Justin, I'll ask you this first, and then Marty. I mean, as you watch both of your sons grow and the good players and playing high school and the AAU circuit, and you watch that process now as parents, I mean, what's different now? It might be a simple question, but, you know, what's, what's different? Uh, man, it's just, well, one, you're not running around, putting no pressure on your body. You know, they're doing all of that. Um, I'm seeing how fast these kids are now, and I'm like, I don't even – it's going to take a lot for me to get out there and run with a 16-, 17-year-old right now. So, but um, it's just a it's just a different feel. Um, I was at the Pit Jam, uh, Pit Jam Fest, uh, I think, two weeks ago, and Dimash hit a game-winning shot against the New Jersey Scholars um, in overtime, and it was just – I don't know. It was a great feeling better than any shot that I made at the buzz or anything like that. Cause you know, this is, this is your kid doing it now and you want the best for them. And it's just a whole different feeling. Just watching your kids um, go through the, the path of, of trying to make it to the highest level. And um, you being a parent, you know, we, I know when Marty knows all of the, the business part about, about the game. So I just try to right now, just try to tell him to keep, 
you know, have fun. Don't worry about, you know, all this other stuff, other kids on Instagram doing this and that. Just have fun in high school. That's my most uh, um, important piece of information that I give them. Have fun right now because after this is when it becomes a business. But, you know, as his parent, as someone who's been in a game, um, try to keep him away from the from the BS of, of the basketball world. That's my main focus, that he could just focus in and have fun with the game. Marty, what about for you? What's different now in your eyes? As far as the game and, and, and kids playing in this era or something? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, the game is just totally different from when we play. You know, it's more three-point shooting. It's more about scoring. It's more about, you know, creating positionless basketball now. So it's a lot different than when we played because everybody was set to a position. I, I, that's the part I do like because Madden, he's able to play, you know, off the ball and point guard. So I like that before you couldn't get away with that. You had to be this or be that. Um, so I like the fact that it's changed in that ways. Um, I think also, you know, the social media presence, that's, that's, that has a big effect on kids. And, and like Dustin said, it's just like, I just try to tell man and like, have fun with it, man. Have fun with it and just work. Just work. It's working because working, it, it, that, that, that's going to get to where you want to go. Like just working, working hard every day. Um, um, because I remember the well, last week, my son hits me, um, Madden hits me. He calls my phone and he's like, he's a little upset because, he did well in the tournament. He was pretty much the MVP of the team that weekend in the tournament, you know. But for some reason, um, they wrote up another kid. So I kind of had to tell him, like, don't, don't worry. Don't get caught up in that, that, that social media stuff. Like, I mean, you put the work in, you're going to get noticed. Like, don't worry about that stuff. That's just highlight clips. That's just for everybody to have fun and, and see you. But if you put the work in, it's going to come. So it's just like that, that might be the biggest thing that, that, that Instagram, the social media presence, because everyone's getting critiqued and criticized and praised on there and everybody's worried about likes and, you know, like don't get, you can't get caught up in it. I, I couldn't imagine playing in this era. Like I know it was, it was a lot tougher than when we played, but the only thing it was a, it was a damn uh, newspaper write up or something. <laughs> so I know it was a lot, a lot tougher for the kids just, just during this generation. Marty, I'll, well, I'll ask both you guys this question. Marty, I'll start with you first. You guys know, and if you haven't already, you're going to start getting questions like, are you going to try to steer your kid toward Temple? And I'm sure it's probably a, a bunch of mixed feelings for you guys because I don't know, like, how do you, I would imagine that both you guys are probably thinking, hey, you got to do what's best for you. But what is it like mm -hmm. balancing out the feelings for your school, but also kind of maybe having to say to your son, like, I'll, I'll do what's best for you? Is it, is that, is that already kind of getting weird to think through that? Or do you kind of just put that off till, till you have to think about it? Yeah, well, I, I'm not that stage yet. I'm still. Madden's is ninth grade. Mason's sixth grade. So that's yeah. kind of more of a Dustin. So for me, it's, it's just, you know, getting to the point where they're even getting looked at by Tim. So that's right. just getting to get them to that point. But um, so when that point, when that point does come, it's like, um, like you said, it's, it's, it's not really mixed. It wouldn't be mixed emotions for me because I'm really not. It's just whatever best for them. You know, mm -hmm. I don't I don't want to put any pressure on them. I feel like they got to come to Temple, you know, live in my footsteps. But if they did. You know, I would love it. It's, and it's more so not just to come to Temple. It's more so they, you know, they live in South Carolina. Now they'll be back in the Philadelphia area where, where you know, all my family is from and, and my family get to see him play and I get to see him, stuff like that. But it's, it's not really – when time comes and that happens, it wouldn't be any pressure for me as far as that. I just want them to be happy. Dustin, how about for you? Dimaj is a year – uh, ahead of where Madden is, he just you know just picked up his first offer from from Dwayne Killings. He got the offer from Albany. Um, he's starting to get some attention. And what do you think that'll be like for you? Kind of like same question. Did, did, 
is there part of you that would love to see him following your footsteps, but the other party that has to say, Hey, you got to do what's best for you. What's it? What was, is that, is that starting to creep into your thought process? Are you kind of like Marty said, kind of putting that off until you have to think about it? Um, it's part of my process now because he's actually getting the offers now. Right. But you know, for him, I'm not, when it comes to that point, it would be, it would be totally, totally up to him. Um, would I love to see him go to Temple? Um, yeah, you know, but I also want him to be able to, you know, have his own path and, and choose what, what, what school is best for him. So up until that point, it's kind of my job to make sure he's on the right AAU team and being coached the right way. And then when it's time to choose a college, I have to give him, you know, the pros and cons of, of this team because, his dream school is North Carolina, but, you know, if you go to North Carolina and you don't play good, then there's going to be somebody else coming in after you. So there's all that stuff that I have to teach him. But for him, you know, when the time comes where you have to choose a school, I want I want him to be able to just pick the best school where he feels most comfortable, comfortable with. But, you know, obviously Temple, you know, I would love to see him go there. That would be that would be that would be nice. But. You know, we still got two more years and just waiting for the best situation for him uh, when that time comes. Listen, John talked about it a little bit, but you're an assistant coach now at Law Academia. Uh, it's a new charter school. How did that opportunity come kind of come to come together? And what's it like, you know, being a high school coach now and coaching your son? Uh, the opportunity came that uh, that school was there for over 20 years and um, they never had a sports program. So uh, my friend uh, Jerry Johnson, he had um, stopped playing basketball. And it was some lady that works at one of the community centers around here that's connected with the school who um, came to him and said, the school wants to start a program or looking for somebody. So he went interview for the job. Um, he got the, uh, the, uh, the AD job there and they gave him the head coaching job. And, uh, you know, I was home at that time. It was after my last season in Tunisia. And, um, you know, I was waiting around for another, another deal and I just, you know, started helping them. And then um, that's when we brought my son over and I see my son's progress was so good. And then COVID hit and it was hard to go back and get a basketball job. So that's kind of how I just stopped playing kind of really because of COVID. But then just coaching and being able to be hands on with my son after missing so much time from being overseas, it was hard for me to even think about going back and, and playing anywhere. So that's how the opportunity came for me. And it's, it, it, it was great. We had a great season last year, uh, one game away from the, uh, from the finals. Uh, he had a good year, ended up being 13 all state. Uh, so it, it was a great opportunity. Marty earlier this month, Madden at a, at a good AU tournament and Don Staley chimed in on, on Twitter and said, that's her godson. So in addition to him having you and Ari as role models, it sounds like he has Don Staley as one too. What kind of influences has she had on his life? Uh, she has a great one from, from, from day one. I mean, she's been his, his godmother. Um, she's been born and, um, like she's always, you know, she spoils him. She spoils him and Mason and, uh, she's always talking to him and, um, and letting him know when, um, what he needs to do better as well too. So that's a good thing. She's just being there, just doing anywhere, anything to help him, uh, to help him and, and give him, give him a little guidance. So. It's been it's been great her, her and and then anytime she says something you know so the whole South Carolina is gonna see it so I was just fortunate that she was able to re retweet that just to you know give them a little recognition a little recognition for each of you guys I mean I guess Marty I'll start with first for each of you guys what was your most memorable moment as a player at Temple and your most memorable moment just professionally oh most memorable moment at Temple was had to be my I think my freshman year when I hit the I hit a big three. 
against Xavier, or I got a switch on David West. And um, it was the semifinals of the Atlantic 10 tournament. And uh, we needed to get to the, you know, win the Atlantic 10 to get to the NCAA tournament. And uh, David West switched out on me and I hit a big three, you know, to, to put us up, um, gave us the lead and get, it, and get us the win and get us to the finals against Dayton. So that might've been my, my best moment because he, during the A-10 banquet, he was, he was, David West, I mean, he was talking so cocky and arrogant about how they're going to win the tournament and nobody has a chance. So for me to get in that moment as a freshman, was probably my best moment um, at, at Temple. Um, professionally, it just was uh, getting drafted. Man. As a kid, you know, that's something that, you know, you always look forward to, trying to get drafted in the NBA. So for me, that moment alone, no matter what happened, that, happened after it, you know, was was enough for me, man. I, I just – Love the moment. I, I wish I, 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 that's one of the regrets I have. I wish I still would have just went to the draft. But me being so nervous of not knowing where I was going to go, I just stayed home and watched it with family. But hearing my name called by David Stern was just like a dream come true. So, like, probably my best moment. Dustin, what about for you? What was your most memorable moment as a player at Temple and then, and then your most memorable moment professionally? I'll say Temple was probably – Probably my sophomore year when we went down to Duke and played against Duke. Uh, and I say that because, you know, as a kid, you always, you know, you Duke was always on TV. You know, you watch Coach K. And then to be down there, you know, to actually play against them. I just remember uh, before the, um, you know, jump ball, I'm looking around. Coach K's on the sideline. Uh, and at the time, you know, J.J. Redick was – one of the top players in all of college basketball might have been the face of college basketball. So you're on the court with, with people like that. But once the ball went up, you know, it just was basketball after that. And then, um, so I'll say that probably that game, uh, we lost the game, but it was a good game. And then, uh, professionally was just going through, you know, that whole NBA process, you know, I wasn't drafted, but the whole, I went through the whole process of, uh, both NBA camps, all the workouts, summer league, um, you know, that was great. And then, uh, I'll probably say that. And, you know, I was – my professional career ended while I was able to win three consecutive championships over in Tunisia. We run a tournament out in Dubai, which was great. So, um, probably probably those moments. Dustin, I want to ask you this question before we get to the mailbag questions. You had you had the opportunity to play for John Chaney and Fran Dunphy. So, you were a part of both eras. I, I, I thought about this the other day. There's probably no way you would remember this. I remember – seeing you on Cecil B. Moore Avenue one day, and I think it was like probably Cheney's last year, and you were eating a breakfast sandwich right before practice. And I said, aren't you worried about, aren't you worried about cramping up or something like that? And you told me you're of the impression that you think we're going to be running right away. He might be talking to us for an hour <laughs> before we do yeah. anything. So I've got time to digest. This sandwich has time to digest. I'm going to be fine. And then I imagine dump style was a little bit more different in practice, but you, you played yeah. for both guys. So it was the end of the John Cheney era, the beginning of the Fran Dunphy era at Temple. What was that like for you just to compare and contrast the style? Some people say, Hey, they're more alike than, than you'd think. How did you see it? Oh, uh, well, the, the, the biggest thing for me was the practice times, um, practicing at six versus, you know, two or three, the two or three time was definitely better for me. Um, <laughs> You know, yeah, you know, because I think that was part of a lot of the players' problems. We were we were getting up so early, and then we'd practice, and then if we had a class at, if we finished 
uh, uh, the practice around eight, take a shower. If we had an eight, or if you had an eight forty, most likely you would go. But if you had like a nine forty or a ten thirty, you will go back and lay down. And then next thing you you know, you you had to be very disciplined. But if you, next thing you know, you might wake up, your the class is done. And it's like ah, I ain't worried about it. But I say definitely the times was the biggest difference for me. Um, and obviously their coaching style was was different. Um, playing for Coach Dunphy, uh, we were allowed to. And we ran a little bit more, which was more of my style. Um, but both were great because I learned I learned a lot from Coach Chaney and uh, uh, Coach Dunphy as well. Uh, you know, just two two different two different guys, but both great great coaches that uh, helped me out a lot. Just a quick follow up: when Dunk takes over, I mean, he's there's a lot of pressure there. He's taking over. He's taking over for a legend, and. You know, he had that one – it was the one season where you were there where you guys didn't get to the tournament, and right after that, boom, three straight NCAA tournament appearances. How did he approach getting to know you guys and taking over for Cheney? Because he always talked about how great a responsibility that was. He wasn't going to take that job if he didn't have Coach's blessing. What was – how did he approach, like, getting to know you guys and making you feel comfortable? Um, he just was a great communicator, and he didn't come in – I mean, obviously he's the head coach, but he didn't come in demanding this, demanding that. He allowed us to be ourselves, and uh, he was great for me. Um, you know, they, they came in. When they came in my senior year, I lost 25 pounds, and I was able to get my explosiveness back under him. Um, you know, he just was a great guy and just, you know, he just, you know, it's easy to, to respect someone when they have respect for you. Um, they came to you. The, the, the assistant coaches were great, too, especially Matt Langle. He helped me out a lot. Um, you know, the whole coaching staff was, was great. Uh, just the way that they communicated, they didn't come in and say, you know, we're the bosses now. We're trying to do this. We're trying to do that. They kind of just eased their way in. And, you know, that's why I still have, you know, respect for all of them. I actually just co- talked to Coach Dunphy today. Uh, and I talked to uh, Coach Langle uh, every now and then. DK was around. And, you know, their whole staff was just great. And, you know, they're great guys. And like I said, they just didn't come in and try to say, well, we're, take, we're changing this program, this and that. And it was a rebuilding year. And that's how they treated it. So they did a, a very good job of coming in and, and taking over them. Here are uh, a few of the, the mailbag questions that we got from readers and listeners. The first one comes from uh, Varun Kumar. He actually writes some stuff for us from time to time for Al Scoop. The question he asked for both you guys is, with how much education meant to John Chaney, did he know you guys were, were close to graduating before he passed? Was that something that you guys talked about with Coach? Nah, nah I didn't get a chance to. Um, I don't, and that's, that's something that, that hurts because um, – uh, I just wish that he was able to see this. Like, I mean, I know he'd be so proud of us that we came back and able to do it because I've seen him when guys like Rick Brunson and, and you know, Aaron, everybody came back and graduated, how excited he was when they did it. So that was one of the, the, the main things I was looking forward to once I graduated, being able to have that phone conversation and talk to coach and say, I finally did it. Um, so it was a little, you know, a little sad that I'm not able to have that conversation to do that. And I know, you know, I know he's, I know he's proud of us. Dustin, how about you? Did you guys ever talk about that? Did he know you were close to graduating? Yeah, I actually, I called him before his passing. I probably talked to him maybe two or three months before that. Mm-hmm. And I let him know that's what I, you know, was doing, that, uh, you know, I was going to graduate soon. And, you know, he, his, his conversation was good. He, he understood me. Um, 
And I, I'm, I, like I said, I'm, I, I don't know. I just felt one day I should call him. And I called him over the years, but I just, you know, the two or three uh, months before he passed, I just was riding. I seen uh, Johnny Miller that day. So I was talking to Johnny Miller. That's a name. Him. That's a name from the past. Another number yeah, three, right? Yeah. So me and Johnny were talking about him. And then, you know, I just called him that day and let him know what I was up to. Let him know about my son. was asking him about him. So we had a good conversation. So he didn't know that's what, what I was doing. So I'm glad I did make the call. Next question comes from, this is a screen name on the message boards from Delaware Al. This one's from Marty. Marty, how hard was it to transition from a post player in high school at Simon Gratz to a point guard under John Chaney? It was the toughest thing I ever had to do in my life. <laughs> I, tell, I tell my son that all the time, like, it's the toughest thing that I have ever had to do because, like you said, uh, and, I mean, high school, I played the post, but, like, that was for my high school team. But during AAU and, you know, other, other recreation leagues, I played in the wing. I know I was always a, a wing, maybe a three or two, you know, and I, and, I, and I was scoring more. So when I got there in Temple, he's trying to make me a point guard. Um, it was a tough adjustment, like, because I always was told, trying to score first and set people up last. So with coach, you know, playing coach with point guard, you know, he expected excellence from his point guard. So every day it was like, man, does had an argument a month ago about how, about how much he used to get cussed out. Hmm. And it was a lot more. <laughs> But I used to tell him, like, I was so – he had me so confused at some moments where I didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't know I needed to set people up, get people involved, on the score, when should I do it? And then my sophomore year started to click for me. But I tell him, like, it's – I tell my son now, because he's real – my son is mad and he's real aggressive. And he plays point guard, too. So it's like, I'm like, that's the part he's going to learn, but it's going to come with just playing, come with experience, learning – how to play point guard, when to when to shoot, when to set your teammates up, and do that. So it was it was it was by far the toughest thing I ever done in my life. <laughs> Next question: The screen name is Berkshire Al. Uh, he says, "Congratulations to both of you on completing your Temple degrees. Any special reason to come back and do this? Is it just a coincidence that you both came back at the same time?" Um, like I said, Marty. I, for me, it was probably probably uh, COVID where, you know, I found myself not, not – I had to do something. I wanted to be productive during that time. Um, and I knew Marty was doing it when I talked to him. I said, you know, this is something that I just need to get done. So I think COVID – COVID shouldn't have been the reason. It should have been, you know, I, I, me wanting to get it done. But I think it happened for a reason. And I'm glad – you know, I'm, I'm glad it did because I was productive during that time. And I'm just happy that uh, – The next – question there are a couple here from the the screen name is sah0770 um a few questions for you guys you guys always love hearing always love hearing the personal recruiting stories from past players can you talk about your recruitment to temple and and why you picked temple um dustin we'll, we'll, we'll start with you and then go over to marty on this one uh how i got the temple was um i played against um harrisburg high school um where that's where Quincy Wiley went to mm -hmm. school. And, you know, obviously Quincy went to the Temple. So we played against Harrisburg in the district championship, and I had a really, really good game that game. And they're the one who got the tape to, to Temple. So that's how to probably say like April of my senior year or something like that. Um, so once I, uh, I, got, I came down there for the visit, um, I didn't know 
what I wanted to do. But when I came in, I came in with my mom and my uh, my dad and talking to Coach Chain, like the first five minutes, he was like, how you like school? What do you think? And, you know, I was used to watching Temple on TV and it was, you know, a local team for me. Paperwork signed and we'll be, we'll be ready for you to come in next year. So I just kind of looked at my mom like, and they looked at me like, is this what you want to do? And I was like, I mean, I guess so. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I signed the paper, I signed everything, and it was like, I, I didn't have any, I don't want to say I didn't have any intentions on signing, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. But he kind of just, I don't want to say forced me, but it was just like, okay, well, come on. And I didn't, I didn't want to tell him no, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, that's how I have it for me. So, that's some, that's some charisma right there. Yeah. Don't think you don't want to have tell him no. That's pretty good. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to tell him no. So, but you know, that's how that's how I got there. So, and Marty, we were just we were just talking about this a couple months ago. You were almost the almost the greatest recruited walk on in the history of the of the program. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the the late Michael Blackshear, uh, your one of your former teammates, who unfortunately passed away several years ago. They were recruiting him. And he sat out as a non-qualifier that cleared the way for you to get the scholarship. But you, you've told the story before, but for those people who haven't heard before, can you tell us how, how Temple started recruiting you and how you ended up there? Yeah, it was just like, I mean, sometimes it's just luck. And like a lot of times you put the hard work in and just hopefully something lucky happens. And that's what it was. You know, uh, they were recruiting Michael Black. You said Michael Blackshear um, and coach had just, uh, Played NC State. They were in NC State and they lost to NC State. So they flew back to Philly that night, and we happened to be playing uh, Germantown Academy uh, at Dana McGonagall. And coach gets off the flight and he heads straight down there to, to check out Blackshear. And I just happened to have one of my best games ever, you know. And, um, from then, he, you know, he called and he was like, "We don't have a we don't have a scholarship, but we want you to come there." And then he came to one more game against Martin Luther King. I played well that game. And I was like, at that point, I was already coming to every Temple game the year before watching every Temple game. I was a big Lynn Greer fan. So me watching Lynn Greer and seeing what he was doing against Duke and uh, Wisconsin, putting up 47, like, it was just like, I'm like, so when they said it, I'm like, I didn't have any a lot of recruits, recruitment letters anyway. I'm like, I'm, I don't mind going to walk on. That's better than anything else. So uh, it just was um, unfortunate, um, you know, Blackshear didn't qualify and I happened to get the scholarship and then, you know, the rest was kind of history. But it was just like, to me, it's a story. It's just, you know, continue to work and a little bit of luck happening for you. Uh, his second question is, and every, you guys get this all the time, tell me your best John Chaney story. Marty, we'll, we'll start with you and then Dustin will go to you. Uh, best John Chaney story. Moves <laughs> a million of them. Huh. Oh. No, you got you got one already in because I gotta think a little bit. You got one yet? Uh, when people ask me that question, it's hard. It's always hard for me to answer. Um, it's very very hard for me to answer. But it, you know, because there's so many. Well, I'll tell you this. Well, one of the stories was when when Kobe and and uh, and Shaq played on Christmas for the first time, and he just he just wanted us to like. We, you know, it was Christmas Day. We want to be home with our families. But, you know, we had to practice. And he just wanted us at the gym with him to watch the game. And I was mad, to be honest, because I'm at Lancaster. And I was never able to – for three years, I couldn't come home for Christmas because 
like our practice schedule, we was in the gym five, six hours. And then with the train getting the line with the timing, then we had to be back. But I look at it now, like, you know, we, we were, we were his family. So as much as we wanted to be away from him, as, as he wanted to be close to us as his players. You know what I mean? So that was one of the stories that I have. Just I remember us having to go to the to watch the game on Christmas Day. Like, come on, coach! Like, can we relax and chill, be away? Yeah, it's it's. I I don't have one particular one. I can't think of one right now. But it, like I said, a lot of his stories, a lot of things he said, we probably can't repeat on this podcast because it was just so crazy. Um, like, but that was just coach man. He had no filter. Like, and he would just tell it how it was, and whether you liked it or not. Um, um, so I have a weird sense of humor in some of my stories. So the things that I felt funny and were crazy to me, mm-hmm. like I said, I probably can't repeat those because it was some of it was some stories that probably people will look at like, wow, I can't believe you said that. Like I just know offhand one that was funny to me <laughs> where we in film. And it's like I said, it's not fun, it's not a funny story, but my head sense of humor is a little different. Mm-hmm. And he he gave Wilbur a scholarship. Like, so, you know, Wilbur's a walk on all them years and he gave him a scholarship. And, um, you know, Wilbur's on scholarship the whole whole year. But instead of end of the year, having a conversation with Wilbur saying we needed a scholarship back, or oh, you know, we got a player. We are in a meeting and we haven't filmed and he's cussing everybody out about everything. But he goes to Wilbur and said, and with you, man, he said, God, give it, God, take it. I, got, I need that scholarship back. <laughs> and I couldn't, and I just couldn't believe he would say that to him, but that was just some of the things he would say. Like, and he said to everybody, like, he, like I told you the story before, he told me he made me. Like, at yep. times he, he told Mark he was he's stupid. Like, there's a certain story that I felt was funny, but um, that them the ones that stick to me more than anything because they just were funny to me. And that- we look back at it, we were all sensitive in those moments, but when I look at them, I laugh now. So that's how too. that's how Wilbur Allen found out he was only getting a scholarship for one year. Yeah, he found out that's how he wasn't going to be on scholarship the next year. Oh, like he didn't <laughs> sit him down and tell him. That's how he told him. And I'm just like, you know, coach doesn't care. Like, he's say anything. Coach doesn't care. <laughs> the third the third question for you guys uh, is: What are your thoughts on Aaron McKee as a head coach and where the program is currently? Uh, for me, I like that he's he's the coach, you know, obviously a, a Philly guy, Simon Gratz, Temple, Sixers. Um, so he knows, that, you know, that's where he's from. And, um, you know, I like the fact that he has um, Chris Clark on the uh, on the staff, who's a player that played with me and Marty. He's also mm-hmm. from Philly. And, um, you know, I just like I just like what they're doing with the program. Um, you know, I think they're going to definitely get better. Um, keep bringing in some some good recruits. And I know it's a process when I think this was the second or third year, I believe. Just finished the second year, yeah. Just finished the second year. So it's still it's still new. Um, and then this time, you know, the COVID time, I know that made things a little bit more difficult. So I think, you know, in the next, you know, let's say two, two years, everything will pick up. And I think those guys are um they're doing a great job. And I think they'll be doing even a better job as they get um, you know, used to what they're actually doing. I know it's his first time being a head coach, so that's that's a major change because he's always been an assistant coach. Um, so to change into a head coach and to follow in Coach uh, Cheney and um, 
uh, Coach Dunphy's footsteps. Those guys are legendary coaches at that program. Obviously, Coach Dunphy at Penn, uh, Penn. But, you know, just think the longer that they're at it, they're going to get better at what they're doing. Marty, is it a, is it a cool thing for you? I don't know how much you being a Gratz guy, I would imagine the Bill Ellerby talked about Aaron all the time. I don't know how often he came by the gym, but uh, what are your thoughts on Aaron as a head coach after knowing about him growing up and growing up in, in Gratz? Yeah, not even just uh, Simon Gratz. Uh, we played for the same AU coach, John Arnett. Right. So John Arnett was like a father to me. He was like a father to Aaron. So we had we already had that connect. We had that connection too. So me growing up, man. I mean, me growing up, I idolized Aaron. You know, I looked at him as like the the the, the stature I was trying to reach, man. Like and and to, and I tell I said it before. I think maybe in um in an article or an interview or something where. You know, Aaron is still a guy. I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm a grown man, but I'm still kind of nervous around him because he's a guy I always idolized. You know, um, he he always was professional on and off the court. He handled his business. Um, so that when it, when he was hired, you know, I, I loved it. You know, I loved the move and because I, I, I know how much so much he taught me um, coming up on um, the days when he played the Sixers and he would come down and play ball with us, play pickup with us. And um, the times I ran across him in, um, with my age, you could with John Arnett, and he would give me advice and tell me things. He, all, he actually didn't like my game at first that I played too cool. So mm-hmm. I felt like myself, I was always trying to prove to him something. Like, so every time I seen Aaron up to Sixers workouts or somewhere, I was trying to prove that I, you know, play hard. But just to see him with a job, I was just, I was just happy, man. I was excited, just especially to, you know, to see Temple guys back in the building. Um, and, you know, for me, I didn't play for Dunphy and I had an against Dunphy, but it was for me, I just love that Temple guys were back in the building. I felt comfortable to come back around and, you know, and, and, and be, well, not saying Dumpy didn't welcome me, but I just felt comfortable being with Temple guys back. But like Dustin said, I just think, you know, they keep at it, keep, keep learning, keep working, keep getting recruits, you know, and, and, and the program is definitely heading in the right direction. Guys, thanks so much for doing this. This was fun. I hope you guys really have a wonderful week. Congratulations again on getting your degrees. Hope you guys get to, spend some time together and hang out and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. Really appreciate it. Right, man, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank yes. you. Thanks for having us. All right. So a big thank you to Marty Collins and Dustin Salisbury for spending some time with us today on the scoop guys. What would you enjoy from that interview? Uh, I might have the same type of weird humor that Marty Collins has. Cause I thought the Wilbur Allen story was funny <laughs> though. Once you take a step back, that's like probably a, at the time, like top five worst moment of Wilbur Allen's life. Like, <laughs> Oh, by the way, I'm taking away this scholarship from you, but like Marty Collins just remembers it fondly as like a story of his, of his, his college coach, 15, 16, 17 years later. Yeah. You could see, I mean, obviously we, we record on zoom with these guys in this, in this COVID era and I, uh, you guys don't, we don't produce the video of it, but what Marty just was grinning from ear to ear when he said, Oh, I've got this weird sense of humor. And his, he, he lit up with that story. But like you said, yeah, <laughs> told me like a traumatic moment. <laughs> like, I guess, like looking back at it now, you can kind of laugh about it. But oh my God, can you imagine being in that room? Oh, yeah. Like, do you ever have like flashbacks to your life when you think about something cringy you did like 20 years ago and you're like, holy crap, like, why did I do this? Like, it's probably like Wilbur Allen. It's just like, oh my God, that's a terrible moment. And he probably, he probably just like sneaks into his brain 10 to 15 times a year. Just like, oh God. And he's in Wilbur's in coaching now, right? He was, yeah. he was on the Ole Miss staff. Now he's the, uh, the director of basketball administration at UAB. So he's gone on to coach and he's from, you know, he's from, uh, 
I think, did he go to Irmo High School? Is he at the high school where oh, I should look this up beforehand? I, I want to say he played at the high school where Marty's kids are now. I should have fact-checked that before I said it. But, um, yeah, I, I, I love that story. I, I thought it was hilarious. Sam, what about you? Um, obviously, well, Dustin said some great things. But, I mean, Marty, I think, um, you know, him saying that he sometimes gets nervous around Aaron McKee, even now, just because he always feel like he had to prove something to him. I thought that was pretty great. Um, I mean, how else would we have known that Aaron McKee didn't exactly like Marty Collins's game back then? So, and, and mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, they, they both had nothing but great things to say about Aaron. And, um, you know, I think fans like to get on him, but I mean, to have former players of the program speak that highly of him and, and guys that know him very well, I think that that's encouraging, but yeah, no, that just that story of, of him getting, getting nervous around, around somebody that you wouldn't think he'd get nervous around. I thought the, Marty talking about how Madden imitates Marcus can be shot or used to. And then Kyle asking Marty, does he, was there a rule in the house or did he know he wasn't allowed to imitate a UMass player? Because uh, that was, you know, I, I don't know, but by the time, by the time Marty was playing at temple, the, the temple UMass rivalry was not what it was in the, you know, the mid to late nineties when Camby was Marcus was still the, the best college player I saw live with my own eyes. He was just, he was insane. Uh, seeing him go up against Mark Jackson when they squared off at McGonagall, I think it was, might've been Mark's sophomore year, I think, but, uh, yeah, I enjoyed that story. But again, it's always, always cool to talk to those guys. And, uh, again, we've, we've talked to them both this year under sadder circumstances with, with John Cheney's passing, but uh, again, a really cool thing to, uh, to hear that they're coming back and, and earning their degrees and doing it at the same time. So again, uh, Big congratulations to them and a big thank you to them for spending time with us today. Uh, and again, we got some of your mailbag questions in there uh, talking to those guys. Uh, we'll, we'll visit some football news here. Obviously, Temple did not have anybody drafted in last week's draft, but they did have two guys sign, as you know by now, as undrafted rookie free agents. Brandon Mack signed with the Broncos and Dan Archibong signed with the Bears. Um, hoping to get those guys pretty soon for interviews um, in this COVID season in 2020, Brandon Mack had 20 catches, excuse me, 26 catches for 291 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Of course, the year before that, the season before that, he really broke out, had 59 catches for 904 yards and seven touchdowns. Uh, Dan Archibong this past season, 22 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, had uh, one and a half sacks and a career high 27 tackles in 2019. Uh, Guys, is this what we expected, I mean, either one of you thinking that they might have had a shot to get drafted in the sixth or seventh round, or are you guys not surprised to see him as uh, undrafted free agents? Um, I mean, I'm not a, a draft expert, but, like, yeah, like, it's kind of what I expected. That being said, I mean, once he gets, like, the seventh round, like, it's just people throwing darts. Like, there, there's no difference between a seventh round pick and an undrafted free agent. It's just, hey, I like this guy, and I want to make sure that we get him or anything like that. So, I, I thought there was always a chance that – Somebody felt became enamored with Brandon Mack's size or his ability to play quarterback in a pinch, or uh, they looked at Dan Archibald being a four-year guy. Like there was always a chance, but no. Like if, if I was a betting man, I would have said I didn't expect either of them being drafted. Yeah, I wasn't. I would agree with Kyle. I wasn't surprised either. I think we both predicted that they'd be on high priority, not high priority, but priority on undrafted free agents, the guys that would be signed directly after the draft. Um, the only thing that I kind of thought is like maybe we'd hear Dan Archibong's name called in. in the seventh round, just because, you know, I'm somebody who probably plays more attention to the draft that I probably should, um, that the interior defensive line class was, is pretty weak this year. So maybe that would have helped him a little bit, just being a four years, you know, a four year veteran, some guy who has produced 
um, you know, at a, at a division one program. So, um, but overall, I don't th- think we're surprised. They're interesting landing spots. I don't, I don't think if you put a gun to either one of our hands, we would probably have predicted those teams, but um, hopefully that, you know, they'll be able to show what they're capable of when, once they get to camp. Yeah. I mean, I think at least with Mac, I mean, with his size, I think Denver makes a little sense. They have some smaller wide receivers there with like KJ Hamler, um, Corbin Sutton, but like, yeah, I, I just I always kind of go back to when Matt rules a couple of years ago. He said like every scout that comes through here, they they never or maybe it was Ed Foley actually. They never asked me about stats. Like you're never like asking like how many like how many catches does this guy have? Blah blah. But like it has to factor in a little bit with the fact that Brandon Mack had a massive drop off from his junior or senior year for a number of reasons, including having 15 different quarterbacks and COVID and blah blah. But he wasn't as one pro- of them. Yeah, he wasn't as productive as he was during his junior year. So I wonder if that. It, it stats get you on people's radar more is what I'll say. And neither of them um, had great stats in their senior year. Well, not to get on Brandon's case here, because I think it'd be unfair to make assumptions. But he, I mean, he was a player who got very fresh. I mean, if anybody showed any emotion this year, it was him. So I think he was a player who, um, who definitely like got hurt a lot by what happened with this team, especially the quarterback position. Cause I think there was constant times where he was just visibly frustrated that the ball wasn't getting to him or, you know, was being thrown well enough to him or, he wasn't getting the ball, frankly. And, you know, that's not his fault, but I, but I think if, if there's one – I mean, if you can just point out that there's one player that got hurt, it's, it's definitely him. Another thing, it's probably worth debating and swishing this around a little bit, and it's certainly been um, a topic that fans are discussing. Mike, Mike Jensen wrote a column about it in the Inquirer. Uh, and, of course, we're talking about Quincy Roche and Kenny Eboa, two guys who played at Temple before and transferred out. Quincy Roche, of course, transferred down to Miami, Kenny Eboa down to Ole Miss uh, initially he decided to transfer to Baylor. And then, you know, he left Baylor uh, when Matt rule and his whole staff, of course, well, well, part of his staff, part of his Baylor staff went to the Carolina Panthers. So the, the question that people are, are again, floating around and debating is were Kenny Yeboah and Quincy Roche better off staying at temple or did they make the smart decision by, uh, by transferring out? Um, I, I know that both of these guys, and again, I haven't, I haven't talked to Kenny since he, since he transferred, I've had the chance to catch up with Quincy a couple of times. I think both of them went about it a little bit different ways. I think Kenny was kind of itching to get out, felt he was underutilized and he's entitled to that opinion and was kind of gassed up to get out of there. Quincy, I know it was a little bit of a tougher decision uh, for him. And uh, I mean, Quincy's numbers down at, at Miami were, were not bad this year. They weren't, they weren't terrible in terms of TFLs. Uh, Kenny put up some solid numbers, all miss, but again, Kenny ends up with uh with uh, the New York Jets as an undrafted rookie free agent and Roche goes to the Steelers in the sixth round. Again, it was a, a weird year in terms of evaluations, but where do you guys fall on this? Do you think this is much to do about nothing? Do you think they should have stayed at Temple? Again, I part of me hedges on that question because again, I don't think Kenny, I think Kenny just wanted to leave and get out. Whereas, like I said, Quincy thought about a little bit more, but if we want to debate this, just to have some fun, do you think they would have been better off staying? I mean, I, I think when you look at Kenny's shoes, obviously he, he was wouldn't have been better off staying. I mean, yeah, he was still an undrafted free agent, but look what he was able to do in a pass, right. passing offense with with Lane Kiffin. That's what he kind of needed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Temple wanted him to be more of a block, like not a, a blocker first and then a pass catcher second. And I think he would rather have been the other just because he, he was a converted receiver and he kind of played as like a, a more receiving tight end at Ole Miss. So I think for Kenny, you look at it like he wanted to get out of there. It wasn't a matter of like what he had been an NFL draft prospect at Temple. He could have been, but I think, you know, he definitely would have had, wouldn't have had this level of production. And you could sit here and say, well, would he be in the same spot? Probably not. So 
Um, he could have been somebody who brings in a camp, but he's not somebody who's getting X amount of guaranteed money from the New York Jets. That's for sure. Um, so with Quincy, you know, I, I've kind of been on the on the fence of this is like, hey, these guys made what they thought was the best decision for themselves. Right. But you also have to look at it. It's a COVID year where like mm-hmm. the draft was just like a crapshoot rounds five through seven because there's just so much information you don't have. Quincy should have been somebody who was taken on um, maybe late day two or, or early um, day three. I was very surprised he was still on the board come the sixth round because he was productive at Miami. And maybe right. people look at, OK, is it because he's opposite of, you know, uh, of maybe, you know, scouts look at it and, okay, well, he was the opposite of, of a first-round edge rusher, so, of course, he's going to have like that. But I think sometimes there's a lot of overthinking in that regard um, with just players in the production. I, I think Quincy made the best decision he probably could have made. Do we do we know, like, if he comes to Temple? Like, he's obviously, like, Temple this season. He wasn't replicating what he did the year before. Maybe he would have been a dominant force, but the defense was on the field for primarily like a lot of the game. So, and you know, it, it's, it's hard to, I think it's hard the Monday morning quarterback this, and I don't want to be like waffle each side here, but for me, I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I think they made what they thought was the best decision at the time. And you couldn't have foreseen all of these things coming with COVID and all that sort of stuff. So for me, it's just like, you know what? I, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like it's hard to kick them on the down. Like you could say what you want about where they at with the program and leaving the program. And obviously Kenny has said things that probably rub fans the wrong way. And I think Quincy went, went about it better, but um, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to sit here and say, Hey, did they make the right decision? Cause we just don't know in a normal season, like would have been the right decision, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of multifaceted. I think if you're asking me from a strictly a draft perspective, would they have gotten drafted higher if they had stayed at temple? I agree that Kenya Boa was not going to get drafted the way he was being used at Temple, and he at least put himself in that conversation at Ole Miss and then signed a pretty lucrative undrafted free agent deal. So, yep, good decision, Kenny. Quincy, yeah, I think he, I think honestly, if you want to revision this history of this or Monday morning quarterback, Quincy should have declared after last year is what yeah. it really should have come down to. Yeah. He won American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year. His stock was at an all-time high. I get why he did it, and in his mind, he's probably envisioning him to go down to Miami, uh, Rousseau hadn't opted out yet. We didn't really know what COVID. We didn't know what COVID was yet. He thought I'm going to start upside of him. They're bringing this guy from UCLA. I'm going to get 13 sacks. I'm going to be a first team All ACC guy, and I'll be a first or second round pick. And I he guess that to go to Miami as a graduate student and reunite with his strength and conditioning coach, right? Yeah, that was fine. <laughs> I mean, he had options. You know, we we've we've been told. You know, my uh, Miami, North Carolina wanted Mac Brown didn't have a scholarship for Virginia him. Tech. Virginia Tech liked him. Texas liked him. He had his had his options. Um, certain North, certain New Jersey Big Ten schools kept telling people they were in on him when they weren't. Uh, <laughs> there was a bunch of stuff. Um, which school that could be? Yeah. So I, I'm just saying, like, I I get why he did it. I probably would have just declared after the year when my draft stock was the highest. I think what really comes down to is if you're viewing it from a draft perspective, that's what I think. If you're viewing it from a, their productivity as a professional, like did this hurt their NFL careers or make their NFL careers better? I think Kenny Abo is going to get a shot that he might not have gotten. I'm going to think that Quincy, there's probably more questions about him now than there were coming out of after his junior year at Temple. Just because, I mean, he's played against, against some bigger teams now. And even with a, a first-round pick on the other side of the line, he wasn't able to replicate those sacks. He did have a fair amount of tackles for loss. There was talk coming into the season that maybe he had enough athletic ability to kind of play in like a 3-4 as like a linebacker. I don't know about that anymore, like in the ACC. So I, I wonder from a career perspective, 
what that changes. I mean, at the end of the day, he got drafted. He's an NFL player. He has yeah. a chance to prove everybody wrong. But I, I think everything being equal, taking away from the fact, yeah, he goes down to Miami for a year. He doesn't even get to enjoy Miami. Everybody's locked yeah. up at home. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, just a weird, a weird time. Well, for like, no, I'm not gonna say yeah, that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> with Florida, you never know. Yeah, um, yeah, it's and again, I, I think, you know. If you know Quincy again, he's a pretty he's a pretty cool kid, pretty yeah. great to talk to. But you know, it sounds so cliche when you talk about Temple recruits, and it, but it is true. A lot of these guys do play with a chip on their shoulder because they were under recruited. Uh, for both for both Quincy and Kenny, Temple was their only uh, FBS offer, right? I think Kenny. I think Kenny had just FCS. Yeah, I think Quincy had. Navy or something, maybe not. Quincy had to do Quincy at App State, okay. So in Toledo, so it, yeah, yeah. Still, Temple was his biggest offer. I'll be interested to see how, how you know, the Steelers defensive coordinator Keith Butler uses him. Obviously, they, they feel they have a way to use him if they, they took the time to, to draft him, but yeah, it's such an interesting time for those guys to be entering the NFL because, yeah, Kyle, you just talked about this is Quincy kind of a tweener, yeah. Did, did people Look at him and say, okay, you, you had four and a half sacks, you know, playing opposite uh, a, another future pro. Should you have more sacks? That, that I think that where people always fall in this debate, and again, who's to say who's right and wrong? It's not like I studied this whole draft class or anything close to it, but some people say, okay, if, like, like Kyle said, if you declare it after your junior season, you go out on a high note and you don't give people the ammo, whether it is fair or unfair, to say you went down to the ACC and your numbers dipped a little bit. Did you kind of get exposed a little bit? I'm not saying that he did. Uh, I like him. I'm, I think he's a great guy and I'm rooting for him, but um, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing to to swirl around and debate who thought we would have been debating this. A, a yeah, couple just ago. kind of flesh out that scenario. Imagine if the same thing had happened that did happen. He went to the senior bowl. He had a really good senior bowl, right. Like he had a good week of practices. I, I, he played well in the game. If that happened a month and a half after you just won AAC defensive player of the year. Yeah. Maybe you are finding your way into a second round or first round thing. Yeah. I mean, Jason Oway got drafted with zero sacks. So who the hell knows? Yeah. So like the, the draft is a crap, is a crap yeah. shoot, but. And I don't look, I don't, again. It's the Costanza thing. You leave, you leave on a high note. Yes. Uh, and it, we, I don't, it's not like I've studied this. I don't know what is, I, there are no medical issues that, that I'm aware of with Quincy. No. And again, unless he has become a completely different person over the it's last work, year, yeah. no character issues with, right. with Q whatsoever. So, um, but yeah, interesting thing to debate, obviously, you know, wish, wish both guys well. And uh, well, there was one thing that Todd McShay said that I, that I paraphrased and tweeted. I mean, he's, this guy just uh, about Quincy, he's like, this is just a guy who knows how to get to the football guys get after the quarterback in college. It tends to translate. So maybe people get caught up too much in the sacks because I mean, you know, how much, how many pressures is he getting? I mean, I, I remember Pro Football Focus tweeted out something like he led the FBS in like pressures or, or hurries or something like that. Like that's, I don't, I, I feel like, I don't. Yeah, I, don't I mean, you could, you could argue that it was overthought. It, it just seems like that. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you could argue what that uh, that Jalen Phillips had his best career one because he got healthy, but two because he's playing opposite Quincy Roche. Like, I get it. I mean, like I said, I'm going to be rooting for Quincy Roche. I'm sure. Unless, like, like I said, unless somebody's changed in the last 12 months, he, once he gets to Pittsburgh, he's going to work. He's going to put the effort in. So a lot of the times in the NFL, like landing in a good spot is better than where yeah. where you get drafted in the draft. Like you landed in a good spot in Pittsburgh. So like they Pittsburgh has proven just from a template perspective, uh, 
Pittsburgh has proven in the past with Tyler Medikevich that like it doesn't matter where you got drafted, you have opportunity here. Like Tyler turned that into a good second contract with the Bills. Like you're gonna have a shot, Quincy. This is gonna be a bad example here, and you're gonna laugh at me. But look at Robbie Anderson. I mean, the Jets. I mean, they didn't really have like a strong receiver, so right. he can come in and, and have the opportunity. Just like with Kenny, he could probably have the opportunity to come in and, and probably fight to be that number two tight uh, number two three tight end, just because they don't have in that room. And maybe the same goes for. Archibald, and I don't really know what the Bears' interior defensive line room looks like, so I, I can't read you the Bears' depth chart off the back of my hand. Do, do you ever do something like uh, when you're trying to make a point and you use somebody as an example, and then you realize as soon as you use it, you're like, oh, shit, like, was that right? I realized that when I was talking about Brandon Mack. I was like, yeah, Denver's got smaller wide receivers. I was like, I know K.J. Hamler's tiny, K.J. Hamler. And I was like, Courtland Sutton. And I go, Courtland Sutton. I was like, Courtland Sutton's 6'4". Like, he's not tiny, but for some reason I was like, 6'1", and then – yeah. But like in my mind, I was like, I know they have short receivers. I know Cortland Sutton is a receiver on their team. Therefore, he is short. <laughs> no. <laughs> ah. So right. Maybe when they trade Aaron Rodgers, uh trade for Aaron Rodgers, they're gonna have to give up Cortland Sutton and Noah Fan. So maybe uh Noah Fan. <laughs> maybe Brandon Mack can work his way in there. <laughs> yeah, won me a couple won me a couple fantasy games last year. But we don't talk about your fantasy, or Aaron Rogers. Your fantasy team on this podcast. Yeah, exactly. He cares about your fantasy team, right, Kyle? <laughs> exactly. All right. So in his final spring football media availability, Rod Carey did say very clearly that they would, uh, that the, he and his staff would continue to look at the transfer portal. And sure enough, Temple did extend another offer. And uh, I, I think Rod had said what, but like maybe both lines, but best player available. And, uh, it looks like they threw an offer out there to someone else. It did. Um, yeah, it's, I, I think we've kind of been talking about for a couple of weeks. I think basically what Rod said, ideally you want to add somebody on the defensive line, you want to add somebody on the offensive line, and you kind of just you plug in. But the offer that went out today, which kind of saw uh, in the tea leaves and it finally got pulled today, was Isaiah Helms, who was a transfer from Western Carolina. Temple's had some success in the past with people that are associated with Western Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, including two of their Head coaches. Four last head coaches. I was going to say three, but Manny Diaz was here. And uh, Fran Brown. Fran Brown played West Carolina. They've had a lot of success with their program. So Isaiah Helms, uh, an interior offensive lineman. He played center there the last two years, but he could, he could play guard as well. Uh, he's 325. He was an FCS freshman All-American third team in 2019, all-conference in 2020. Um, what's interesting is this isn't a grad transfer situation. And granted, everybody's eligible now right away, so it doesn't matter, but like He's not just a one-year guy. This is a guy that has three years of eligibility left. Um, so I think if you're Temple, what you're trying to convince this guy that it's going to have some options, what you're trying to convince him of is, hey, look, we might not have a starting spot for you this year. I, I mean, if you're better than some of our players, like by all means, yeah, you can start. But like there's a chance that Temple's entire offensive line is gone next year. Like right now you're looking at Joe Hooper, C.J. Perez, and um, – Michael Neese are gone regardless if this is their last year of eligibility. But then even the two other projected starters and Adam Klein and Isaac Moore are going to be into their fourth year in the program. They're fourth year academics. They could decide to leave or they could just move on from football. Like there's plenty of options. So I think Temple's kind of looking at the, the depth, the depth chart here, realizing, yes, we like wisdom Corshi. Um, yes. We're starting to like Jeremiah Donaldson, like guys are pushing Bryce Thoman, Sam Davis, but there might be a need to fill in kind of that gap between the current offensive line and the next generation, um, which 
not to take too many shots, but if you look at who was kind of responsible for recruiting the, that gap in between the current offensive linemen and the next generation, there was a, there was a position group that really wasn't focused on all that much during that time. Um, so yeah, so Isaiah Helms is definitely an option out there right now. He's, he's starting to get some FBS traction, but not necessarily, there's not any offers that he's gotten yet that you go, okay, Temple can't beat out that guy. So um, yeah, that's definitely something to watch out for. He's from Lenore, North Carolina, which is where Jarman was from, Aaron Jarman. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I believe so. So. Is the North Carolina ambassador on the, on this podcast? Sam, before he said, "Yeah," Sam put his hand up. Like, I don't know, man. Like, like I got a lot of tables. Like, yeah. yeah. We always go with that that movie yeah. reference. Why? Uh, I'm not going to name names here, but I, I met with my advisor at the end of the year, and she asked me yesterday if Charlotte was in the Boondocks. So we we have we have that massive city, <laughs> massive, massive, massive. Uh, so we got we have a football mailbag question here is from D blaze 75 from uh, again from the football board question is how hard do you think temple and again this goes back to uh, transfer portal stuff how hard do you think temple is pursuing defensive tackles Keontae Shad Eddie Wilson and Jaron Handy uh, any other um, any other the owls might be taking a hard look at on the defensive line chances of landing any um I think the answer to the first part is how hard are they pursuing them? Uh, fairly hard. Like, like, I think Temple needs to bring in at least one, if not two, like playable defensive tackles. Not like guys that are necessarily coming in as prospects. Like with the Zach Gill injury of he might not be available this season or if so maybe halfway through, like they need to bring in more defensive tackles. Both uh, of sh- guys are hurt, right? Sh- uh, yeah, I mean, Lancine Ture or Lance Ture – doesn't seem like it. It's going to be an uh, issue. Yeah. It just seemed like they, they were being cautious with him. Right. What happened with Zach? I mean, do you really want to lose both of your transfer interior defensive right. linemen? Probably not. Right. Um, Eddie Wilson's an interesting guy. He was productive at Buffalo. It seems like all of Buffalo is leaving now that Lance Leopold's going to Kansas because um, the transfer portal never sleeps. By the no, way, I thought that was just news that got like swept under the rug. Like that was announced, and nobody. I I didn't see anybody talk about that. I mean, he he wins. Like, Lance Leopold wins. He's not going to – nobody in Kansas – well, first of all, let's let's call a spade a spade here. Nobody gives a crap about Kansas football, that's, even that's in Kansas. <laughs> but, like, that's not going to be the type of hire that, like, really gets a splash, which is good because, I mean, their last hire got a splash with Les Miles, and that, uh, didn't, that didn't turn out great. You got fired. You got the AD yeah. fired. Right. That's so, like – you don't have to. You don't have to win the press conference. You have to win games, and Lance Leopold wins games everywhere he goes. Um, back to the actual question. Handy from Auburn. Uh, I don't see that happening. Um, I do have some names that I kind of I, I have, have my eyes focused on. I would say Keontae Shad. I'm like kind of focused on, but who knows? Uh, Tyrese Woods from Buffalo was originally a Michigan commit. Uh, they pulled his offer like right before signing day. He ends up floundering, finds his way down to Buffalo. He's been productive when he's been healthy. Um, he only played in three games last year. One of them was the MAC championship game where he had two sacks, get three tackles for a loss and two sacks for the season. 6'2", 295, probably a guy that can plug in and, and get give you meaningful snaps right away. Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Pooler from West Virginia is actually more of like an edge. He's only like 250, 260, but I'm wondering if they still might roll the dice on somebody like him just because another body to throw at it. Because I think after you got Will Rogers, you got um, Manny Walker, and you got Evan Boozer, but I think they still kind of like those Leighton Jordan become that. Does Trayvon King become that? But I think they really kind of need to flesh out like a fourth defensive end 
So it would surprise me if they rolled the dice on a, on a grad transfer like him. Well, for but, me, I, I would imagine maybe that what if they get a D tackle and then somebody who can probably be like a tweener. Right. Uh, and honestly, I still think if like, I think you saw it a little bit in the East Carolina game, unless my memory is just completely crap. I think push comes to shove. If they really needed Evan Boozer to kind of shift in a little bit, he can shift in a little bit. Like he's playing that like bully defensive end where he's a big boy that just likes to push guys around. But like you could, he, he could, he could give them some snaps if need be in there. I don't think they want to. I think they like him in that big, that big end role, but there's always an opportunity. But I kind of just wanted to point in perspective, like how ridiculous recruiting defensive tackles is. Like we always talk about like in basketball, like if you're 6'10 and you're just uncommitted in like March, you're going to get some offers that you probably shouldn't get. Defensive tackles are very similar, at least this recruiting cycle, because everybody needs defensive tackles this year. To put uh, give an example, one of the things I was going to mention is Tony Fair. He's a transfer from University uh, from UAB from Alabama Birmingham. He was originally on my list. He was a guy that went to Indiana State, then went JUCO, then went to UAB. So FCS JUCO Conference USA has one year left or two years left or whatever it might be. Thought he might Temple start recruiting him. Thought there was a chance to go to the American level. In the span of ten minutes this afternoon, he announced Michigan offers, Indiana offers, Ole Miss, Purdue. It just blows up a guy that was like pretty good at at a conference USA level. He's going to be able to choose wherever the hell he wants to go in college football. So I wouldn't get too focused necessarily on the names yet because who knows all it takes is one big school offering these, these kids. And then all of a sudden 15 others will follow pursuit. But yes, I think Temple is going to add defensive tackles. Well, now it's, it's probably pretty ripe now, right? Because everybody's pretty much done with spring ball. And now every, they've got a month, right? June, June one's the last, they have to inform their current school by June one that they are going to leave. Otherwise, um, they won't be immediately eligible. And then as as much as they as much as they can be, and hopefully we continue to be uh, on the right track with with COVID, whatever that means. But you know, most programs I would imagine had the chance to have a, a, a lot more of a normal spring season, spring practice. And probably the the coaches and the coaching staff out there are acutely aware of what they need. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, for the player's sake, you hope that they're acutely aware of where they stand with their coaching staff. You know, some guys out there could have had the conversation with their coach where they say, hey, if you want to play X number of snaps this, this season, great. It just might not be here. So now it's really probably going to get ramped up and cause, you know, the type of situation that you're referring to, Kyle. Yeah. And in that similar vein, it's kind of interesting that really hasn't happened at Temple yet. This time it might be because hey, you've already lost so many people earlier. But like you saw some walk-ons like Maddie Vit- Maddie Vital transferred out, um, like Mitchell transferred out. I think Max Cavallucci left the team. So like walk-ons, but like they have you haven't seen some of those like fringe scholarship guys get the talk yet or decide that they're better off elsewhere. So I don't know if that's a good thing, bad thing, but it's a thing. Yeah. So well. A big thank you to Marty Collins and Dustin Salisbury for joining us this week. A big thank you to all of you for listening to The Scoop once more this week. Again, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I I know it's the cliche thing to say, but wherever you access your podcasts and uh, subscribe, rate, and review if you can. The more reviews and uh, ratings we get, the more it elevates Temple Sports Talk out there on uh, in the podcast stratosphere. So uh, uh, big thank you to all of you again for joining us this week. And uh, big thank you to Sam Newman again, and congratulations to him. Again, we're not saying goodbye to him just yet. And like we said, he's always going to be part of the Al Scoop family. And uh, we'll talk to everybody soon.